Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I am your host, Joanna LaFleur, and this is Season 5, Episode 5. Thanks so much for listening, for following along, for sharing, subscribing, liking, rating, all the things you do to just be amazing. I uh, got some really just great encouragement this week from a listener who took the time to write out in detail how they're using this podcast, not just for themselves, but even sharing it with their team as a resource. So just a great encouragement to the whole team that is behind this podcast. And, um, you know, shout outs to a guy named Brandon who has been since day one editing the madness behind this podcast and making the sound better than it does when it comes out of this microphone in my own little studio. So thank you so much to Brandon for being part of this. Thought I'd give him a shout out today. Hey, have you joined the Digital Church Facebook group yet? Speaking of people like Brandon, he's a production and audio guy, but you can find him and lots of others of us hanging out in this Digital Church Facebook group. We, um, we're pushing around 600 people in the group now, and it's just a great group for you to join if you're a leader who's interested in digital discipleship and evangelism. You're looking to connect with others who want to talk about those same topics. You want to share resources. You want to share uh, nerdy stuff, or you want to find other people's, you know, nerdy articles, or you want to um, ask a question. You know, you're working on something in your own ministry life, and you want a place to work that out. That's the kind of thing that can happen. So check out the link below in the show notes, or just go on Facebook and search for Digital Church, and you're going to find the group. Also, all this season, we've been doing video tutorials. You can find them on YouTube, or if you just go to wordmadedigital.com, there's a ton of tutorials now lined up. We're talking about websites, and we're talking about Facebook, just like I mentioned, but we're talking about strategy for communications. We're talking about, oh my goodness, so many things. There's a new one coming out every week, so there's going to be something that we hope will help you and help your team. And it's not just me, it's uh, trying to get some smart people that I know to advise you really practically on church communications, marketing, strategy, things like that. Okay, on this episode of the podcast, we have my friend Ruth Mullen, and she is she was formerly the director of Faith Tech in Toronto, and now she's a Faith Tech speaker, and she works a lot in the topic of instructional design, but also how social media is affecting us. We're going to talk about digital addiction and burnout and how to handle that, but I think if you've maybe wrestled through some of that already, hopefully it'll be some fresh content for you on the episode today with Ruth. Thanks so much, of course, to the sponsors that make this podcast possible. Wycliffe College, as I've been saying all season, they got free swag for you. Why not go to wycliffecollege.ca slash wordmedigital to get some? Uh, They'd love to send you some stuff in the mail. If you haven't already reached out to them there, you can check it out. If you're interested in furthering your own education, if you're looking at um, maybe going into an academic field, or maybe you're just a, a ministry person, or you're just simply a Christian who wants to grow in your faith, I would really recommend Wycliffe College. It's an evangelical school, a seminary for theology at the University of Toronto. So you get a degree from the University of Toronto, which is one of the top universities in the world, which is a pretty cool thing. And the faculty is top scholars, like world-class education kinds of stuff is going to happen for you there, which is the reason that I chose to go there. And beyond that, it was a place for me that helped me grow in my own discipleship and thinking critically about what I believe. So if that's something you're in the market for, check out wickliffcollege.ca slash wordmadedigital. And hey, if you let them know that you were there, they are going to send you some fun stuff in the mail for free. So why not? Thanks also, Compassion Canada. Man, this has been 
a different kind of a year. And as we come to the end of the year, there's all kinds of charities that might be hitting up your inbox, asking for support, for help. And you're trying to figure out what to do at the end of the year with the money that you might have in mind to give. Or maybe you don't have anything in mind to give, but you know that for the first time in about 10 years, it looks like poverty, the move towards eradication of poverty is actually going backwards because of this global pandemic that's affecting people all over the world. So it's not just statistics. These are real people who are being affected, just the dominoes of, you know, the health thing that turned into a job loss, that turned into a homelessness, that turned it, you know, it just goes on and on. As you could imagine, if there's no social infrastructure in a country to support people, one small thing like having to stay home can can change everything for a family that's just trying to get on their feet. So we don't have to let it win though. <laughs> we don't have to let COVID-19 stop our efforts to end poverty. There's so many opportunities, especially at Christmas time. Go to compassion.ca slash gifts. I'd love you to go there because there's just some really fun ways that you can give, whether it's um, for yourself or for your family, or maybe on behalf of somebody else you want to give to, you can give COVID related gifts, you know, things to do with hygiene and healthcare. You can give um, education, you can give chickens and goats and all that kind of fun stuff. There's so many fun things you can do. I would love you to go to compassion.ca slash gifts and see how you can get involved uh, and give someone uh, a brighter 2021 like we all probably need. Okay. So on the podcast today, as I've said, we have my friend Ruth Mullen, who's a former director of Faith Tech in Toronto, and she speaks on this unique intersection of the world of technology and working in tech with Christian theology and life. That's kind of her area of expertise. She works in professionally in instructional design, and she tackles topics of digital addiction, social media, theology of work, talks about Faith Tech, of course, as an organization. She's also just like a nerd about history, and she likes pocket and pyramids and Vikings is one thing that she said when she was asked. So uh, enjoy this conversation between Ruth and I. We're also going to be diving into that movie on Netflix or that documentary maybe you've had a chance to see called The Social Dilemma and is social hurting us. So enjoy the conversation here with Ruth Mullen. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 5, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Ruth Mullen, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> um, before we go too far, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, introduce yourself in the context of your work. Sure. So I am an instructional designer with an e-learning uh, man- e-learning management platform. So I work with subject matter experts, a lot of professors, and like grain technicians and I do I help them move their content onto our e-learning platform Um, so that's what I do during the day I've also um, worked or volunteered with Faith Tech and that's a global movement and so I ran Faith Tech Toronto for a few years also ran their labs for a little bit and now I work or volunteer with them more on a speaker capacity Um, that's how I spend my time I mean yeah so you have a job and then you have a second job (laughs) kind of yes (laughs) Um, and when we were talking about doing this podcast together, um, 
you know, I, I love just even that you're a woman in tech. I, I spent some time in the formal tech industry. If people know my own story, I started my work in Waterloo in tech companies. That's where I studied and got right into tech marketing and all that stuff. So you were kind of nerdy in the same kind of nerdy way, (laughs) but um, (laughs) there aren't, uh, there aren't as many women as men in the conversation. So, um, but tell me what's going on with faith tech. Let's start there. And then we're going to move into social media. Tell us about faith tech, how it started, what it does, what's exciting right now. Sure. So faith tech is a global movement that was founded by James Kelly here in Waterloo. And so it actually, it came out of the question um, in the midst of devastation, what can innovation happen? And so from that question, James started to bring together tech leaders and church leaders and say, like, what needs to happen? How can we partner these two and and really bring innovation out of devastation? Because you look around and this was all before COVID, but we, we could see it um, and the stress in the world. And so we started out of that and then it grew into Waterloo had a city and then people in Toronto started asking for it and saying, what can we do? How can we make this happen? Um, and then now it's in 10 uh, cities. They're looking to double that in the next year or so. Um, and then what's really exciting is that since uh, COVID, the global organization's really built out. So we do calls just once a year. quarter, once a in 2020, just this year. Wow. Yes. So there's always been people interested and they say, Hey, like what's happening in Kuala Lumpur. And then we're like, uh, nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but know. now with the global movement, they can jump into these calls. And so we're having like, we did one call and there's a hundred people on it. And um, in the Christian, in the faith and technology space, and I looked around the Zoom call and I was like, these are the people who've written the books that I've loved and we're all in the same call. Wow. And it was just such a cool moment of like, these are the people who are thinking about theology and technology and they're in the same room talking and helping and spurring each other on. And then um, one thing they did right at the beginning of COVID was a hackathon, a global hack. Um, and they had 600 people participate in the 660. Yeah, this, not is, 50. this is such a cool story. If people haven't heard about Faith Tech, this is like a beautiful illustration of what Faith Tech, yes. the power of people using tech for good can do. Sorry, I'm interrupting because yes. I, I was hoping you would tell this story. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, so they did this hackathon. There were 660 people. I think 60 projects and I think also 40 countries, 40 to 60 Mm -hmm. countries. And um, for a week, they just broke into projects and built these out for a week to 10 days. And the winning project was called Sound of Your Love. And it's it's got a website, soundofyourlove.com. And people can, what they did was in response to COVID, um, the problem that they were solving was one of the participants, her grand father had just passed away and on his he didn't die because of covid but he was dying Mm. um, during covid and because of that no one was able to be with him and so she was like how can we prevent people from dying alone um and so they created this app that um you can create an account and for a loved one and then you give the phone number to friends and family and they can call in leave voice messages of like a song or a prayer or just an encouraging note. And then that is given as a phone or even just someone's phone. They can call that number and it can just play for the the patient. Mm -hmm. And so the nurse doesn't have to sit there and hold the phone for them. It doesn't rely on another person. It just is regular um, feed to the person who's waiting there on a ventilator or whatever. And it allows them to hear voices of their loved one or voice 
voice messages of reconciliation. And so they won. The team was like, team was from, I think, four different time zones. And then um, did they know each other before? Because I mean, for people who are in this world, like the idea of a hackathon, I'm not a, like I've worked in tech, but on the marketing side, I'm not a coder. Yeah. I don't, are you you a coder? I don't think. (laughs) No, not a coder. So like a hackathon doesn't just mean people who can do um, like internet languages, like all kinds of no. coming together and people that have one of the, I think, yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the leaders was a nurse ah. on this, on this team. And so they've been trialing it. So yeah, they didn't know each other. You need people who can design it. You, you need the, the image side, you need the um, language side, you need the code side. Um, and so they built it together as a team and it's being trialed in Boston and also in Ontario in different places. Um, I don't remember all the, up-to-date stats but it's been taking off and it's I'm so excited that that is a perfect example of like God can use Mm. creativity use technology pull it together and still show his love in a way that answers problems wow yeah I mean and just the power of people being able to do that and offer their skills their gifts their talents in a way that um you know, transforms people, but it's outside of their, their work. You know, there's something really rewarding mm-hmm. about using our skill set separately. You know, even in, <laughs> even in church world, I remember working as a pastor and, and people coming and saying like, I could use my skill as a photographer to serve the church or yes. like I could use my skill as a web builder or doing analytics or yes. I don't know, all this stuff. Like, you could, you mean like the church might want that because I thought my only option oh, were, yes. you know, working in the nursery or shaking hands as an usher kind of a or thing. tithing. Yeah. yeah. And that for people to realize, I mean, for some that's obvious, but for a lot of people it isn't that like the skill set you have is so valuable for kingdom work, for expanding goodness in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story James tells regularly is that one of the creators of the iPad um, he happened to meet him. He's a Christian and he was talking with James and James said, this is our founder of Faith Tech. And he said, so what do you do at church? And he's like, well, I push PowerPoint. And um, he was like, what? And he was like, what could you design? And he, he just said like this interface that connects all these missionaries together and everything. And the guy looks up in the sky and he's like, yeah, probably. And he's <laughs> like, well, why haven't you? <laughs> and he's like, I, no one's asked. Like, I didn't know that they needed to do that. They needed that. Wow. So he's just pushing PowerPoint because, um, oh, sorry, no, it's the, the director of the guy who created the iPad is the same one, but also someone who's part of BBM, building BlackBerry text messaging. Yeah. He's pushing PowerPoint. Yeah. Because it might not be now, but it the church wasn't harnessing that knowledge and experience. Yeah. And why, why do you think that is? Why does the church have all this, uh, wealth in the pews metaphorically? Uh, no one's in a pew these days, <laughs> but why, yeah. why is it that we're not using these people or what do you think the disconnect is there? I, th- I think part of it is leadership just doesn't know. Like we've done church in one way for so long that we don't know what to do with a coder. And so a lot of these events with Faith Tech, it's really fun because you get pastors and the crowd is um, people over 60 and then a bunch of people under 40. And then like obviously the blend in the middle, but it's pastors listening and be like, oh, this is possible. And it's a lot of times it's very scary and they don't necessarily know how to think in the the coding world and the tech space. And I mean, I think that's shifting very quickly, but 
I think a lot of it's people just don't, pastors aren't saying, here's my problem. I didn't even know a tech person could solve that. And tech people just don't think they're needed because no one's saying anything. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's yeah, they don't even know what to ask. It's like both sides, mm-hmm. they're speaking such different languages they don't even know sometimes. And so is that what you is that what part of what faith tech is about? Bridging between these two languages, yes. the language of the pastor or the ministry missions the you know, the missions organization and these uh, you know, techie nerds. <laughs> yeah, part of it. So I mean, from a from a lab perspective, we'll take partnerships with different organizations. We worked with Missions Aviation Fellowship. And we go to them and say, hey, what problems do you have right now? Let's build a team to help help build that. So we have 11 or 12 different labs happening right now globally where we're building with different organizations. Um, but then also as speakers, um, our job, what we see is we're taking, like I am I'm typically don't speak to coders because I don't understand code. Yeah. <laughs> but I can talk to the pastors and the individual users of social media and say, hey, here's a way that we can look at this and bridge the gap. And so each of like on our, on our leadership team, the speakers, we all have different um, focuses and and, uh, areas of expertise that is really bridging the gap for the Christians in the room to say, okay, how can I like take what used to be separate and start to bend them towards each other? Now, and this speaking of like these two worlds or the way we've always done church, uh, obviously 2020 has sped up uh, what yes. was inevitably coming, I think, to do with technology and church and digital offerings from churches to the community. Um, it sped it up in some cases, I would say for some churches, they're like 10 years of, of red tape they mm-hmm. might have gone through. And all of a sudden it was just gone, you know, um, to join, you know, what yeah. is possible in, in our, the technology we have. But, but Look ahead, like help us. What are you seeing as, and I'm not saying you have to be a futurist expert, but, but what are, what's in the waters right now that people are excited about from a tech perspective that you think from a faith or ministry opportunity that you think people should get excited or people should be more curious about these kind of things? Yeah, good question. And I am not, this is not my expertise, um, but I think, I know one of the guys on our team talked about like church needs to be more than zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we as a church need to figure out how to connect in ways that's more than just watching a service and that like there's studies that millennials are just checking out and, and I get it. It's a real struggle to attend church right now. Um, and so looking at how can we be a cre- create content in a way that people can digest and use and move forward with, but then, um, also build community in a way that's genuine and vulnerable. And I, th- I don't know the answer yet. We just used a cool platform this week called AirMeet, which was really fun. And it actually puts you in tables to meet with people. Oh. Um, and then there's like a presentation moment and then you choose a table and you have a round table chat. Um, so it's, it's sort so of there's, a, a video conferencing. So it's not yes, just like the yeah. Zoom where Zoom you can do breakouts. Uh, it's something a bit more evolved than that. Yeah, and so that you can turn into a presentation mode and everyone's camera goes off, or you shut that down and people go into the lobby and choose a table and they can see other people at the table and start a conversation and jump out whenever they want to. In Zoom, you're stuck, yeah. So there's some cool things happening. It's just, I think as church, we need to be more creative and, and keep leaning to where the problem points are and 
and they're, I think they're smaller. Like it's just socializing. What does that look like now? Yeah. And zeroing in on that. So, I mean, maybe this is the po- point then to transition to the conversation. You just wrote an article recently about, um, social media, uh, and some problems or concerns people are having specifically, maybe it's this response to a Netflix documentary. A lot of people have been watching about the evils yeah. of social media, uh, let, let's dive into that because I think um, for me, when people were talking about this Netflix documentary, I was realizing, because again, it's just more of my world. It's more of the world that you come from, that people didn't know some of this stuff. Like this idea of like, like yeah. if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Uh, as in if you don't, if Facebook or Instagram doesn't cost you money as a user, then they have to make money somehow and they're going to make money off of your eyeballs. Uh, exactly. And so I'm, I'm just saying that because to me that felt quite obvious. Uh, but then I realized it wasn't obvious to a lot of people. They just had never thought about it. They're not stupid people. They're just people who don't have to think mm-hmm. about this as much as, as maybe you or I have had to think about it. So uh, talk to me about this. What's, what's going on here with this idea of, of how these companies make money off of us how are we the product for these companies, for people who haven't seen this Netflix documentary? Yeah. So, I mean, it's called Social Dilemma and I'm going to not do a great job of explaining it. So please watch it. Um, but I think really when, when, when they created this, it was a networking play, a networking spot. And then one of the people in the documentary is he was the person in charge of financing, figuring out how to make this to monetize Facebook. And they decided that you, the more time you could spend on Facebook, they could post ads, which then caught your attention. And that was what, that's how they sell is the impressions an ad can make for people. So their, their job as uh, social media is to keep you as uh, focused and keep your attention for as long as possible, because then they can say, hey, we, on average, this demographic looks at their screen this much. This is how much we can charge you for an ad. And so on the back end, that's how they've had to restructure social media in order for them to make money yeah. at our expense. And so if we're not aware, we can get sucked in real real close. Yeah, it's this what they call the attention economy. Literally making money is money is made off of attention. So the longer we spend, the more we click on things, the more we comment on things. Um, even currently the algorithms change sometimes, but on Instagram, they don't just want to see you commenting on things. They want to see you bookmarking things and sending to share images or, or content with friends. Because that's um, ensuring you're going to go back later to look at it or uh, you're sending it to a friend who also has to then open their app and spend some time on the app to see the things you sent them. Again, they just mm-hmm. want you to spend more time and get other people through you to spend more time on these apps. Yes. And another, um, at the same time as watching this, I also listened to The Rabbit Hole by New York Times. And so they talk about this thing, this happening in YouTube and how those recommended lists is just one more way to get your attention to say, okay, one more thing that's just like this, that's based off your search and your, your viewing history, that they just keep you going. But then you end up in this tunnel of uh, 
like-minded, like an echo chamber of thought. Yeah. Um, and so that can be really detrimental, but fascinating podcast to listen to. Well, I mean, it never happens to me. I mean, I go on YouTube <laughs> and I just watch one video and I shut it down Only and I ever one. down and I have a quiet evening at home. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the fireplace. Yes. Never once have we ever gotten stuck in YouTube. <laughs> oh man. No, or I mean, it's, you're right. It's so addicting, but what we're discovering through things like this, I think people are becoming aware it's designed to make you addicted. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Now, what's the problem with this addiction? Uh, What are we seeing? What's happening? Okay, so we're addicted. Okay, so we use our phones a lot. Does it matter? Mm -hmm. matter? Yes, it does. And I mean, um, I found the documentary kind of reassuring because it was backing up the research I had been doing um, when I, because I've been teaching on this for a year. And like you said, I think people know, but don't really know. So there was a lot of like shock when I would say some of these statistics, but they went deep into um, suicide rates are increasing significantly, sometimes doubling for preteen girls and teenagers. Depression rates are skyrocketing, especially for people born after 1996, I believe the millennial generation are the first, sorry, the Gen Z's um, after 96, they're the first generation to be raised with constant access to the internet and phones. And so, and they're, we're seeing skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And these guys, I started to look around and these guys are graduating university right now. Some of them are getting married. Some of them are having kids. And like those, I remember when I graduated university and Facebook had only been around five ish years and I was dealing with so much, um, fear of missing out and feeling like I was in the wrong path because my friends were doing one thing and I was choosing a different life direction. And that was without the predisposed anxiety and stress from growing up on social media. So there we're dealing with it, but that, that generation for sure is in the middle of a a big um, upheaval right now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things uh, again, people who are smarter than me have, have, have educated me on recently is that, for any meaningful social study or psychological study, it takes 10 years. And so mm. when the iPhone came out in 2007, 2008. Around there, yeah. Uh, it was right when I was finishing university, my undergrad. And uh, I didn't get one because I, I was too, I was a poor student. I couldn't afford one, but I had yeah. one, obviously. Everybody wanted one. But uh, I was with BlackBerry at the time and, and, um, you know, it did, it was cool too. At, at the time, BlackBerry was still cool, <laughs> but, but all to say that, uh, from, from, it took them really from that rise of the iPhone until now it's been now a little over 10 years, uh, that the world has become, you know, enamored with these little glass screens in our hands that now they're only just getting the early results of what has been happening for 10 years, because it, mm-hmm. I guess, People who are smarter say it just takes that long to get any meaningful data of patterns and trends. And so now, as you say, we're seeing this like anxiety, depression, um, even some stuff around other other forms of addiction um, beyond just screen addiction, but addictions that couple with that, like uh, pornography mm-hmm. and sex addictions and spending yeah. addiction, absolutely gaming addiction. Mm-hmm. Stop. And they talked on the documentary, they talked about snatch, Snapchat dystopia, mm-hmm. or um, there's, it's a different word. I've got the word wrong, but girls are asking for pra- plastic surgery that will make them look like their Snapchat, fil- Snapchat filters. 
<laughs> I was just like, wow. huh, like that's, this is like, it's distorting our understanding of what beauty is and, and being okay with ourselves. Huh. How do you know, how do you feel like that? If you want to get a little more personal, like we all live in this world of filters. Uh, how mm-hmm. do you wrestle with that as a, as a woman? I mean, as just a human, um, in the filter era, like we were, I, we, we were teasing before we started this, we were messaging back and forth and you're like, is this going to be video or just audio? You know, like, cause at some level, like our appearance matters. We don't want to look like a crazy person out in the world. Uh, but it can go far beyond that. Has that been a, th- how's mm-hmm. that been for you as a person walking through that? Uh, good question. I think I mostly post without selfies Mm. like I I just feel weird posting selfies and I just saw somewhere I don't remember where it was it was a a selfie right next to a portrait and showed how different the person looks as a result of the screen like the the camera angle um, or the camera type Mm. and just since then I've been like oh I don't know how I feel about selfies anymore so I'll take selfies when I'm on vacation but I try and make it look like it's not a selfie and then but I've I never uh got into the the filter. Uh, and I don't think I've done it yet. Um, so I'm a little bit old school in that way. Like I haven't done the, the Snapchat filters. <laughs> <laughs> and so I haven't, but maybe that's a speaking to other insecurities where I'm just not wanting to put my image out there because yeah, I don't want, it's like, I don't feel like I've dressed up enough. Yeah, I get it though. I mean, there's this pressure the other way too. Uh, uh, I feel reluctant to have images of my like new pictures of myself on the internet, but recognize the tension of that in my work that, uh, mm-hmm. that people are wanting to connect with me. So they want to see a picture of me. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I am reluctant to post them or I feel stupid every time I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a real wrestle. Exactly. Like, I like what myself, is this? but yeah, I know I get it. It is what personal, like, do they now think I'm the selfie persona person versus like a genuine human? (laughs) Okay. So last summer you had a bit of a, you did like a social media experiment or you challenged yourself in Mm -hmm. your own social media use. Uh, I'd love, tell us what, tell us why, tell us what happened. And then I want to talk about, you know, practically what did you do? And then I want to see like, what were your insights or what did you learn? Yeah, sure. So I actually, I did it shortly after I saw you because I had started teaching on social media, not thinking I had a problem, just uh, like I was aware social media was a problem. And then I realized I'm like, Ruth, you really should actually test this just Mm. because you're teaching on it and like have some integrity. And so I deleted uh, Facebook because I knew I had a browser. So by delete, I mean, I took the app off my phone. I never deleted my account fully. Um, so I took the app off my phone and I was like, Hey, Instagram. And then I just was like full of fear. And so I couldn't for three weeks, I couldn't delete Instagram. And I think it was because, uh, I knew I could access, access Facebook on my computer. So I wouldn't be fully cut off, but Instagram, I didn't know of the browser experience yet. So I I thought that by too, like it, it wasn't, at least you can like read your messages now. <laughs> yes, sometimes because but there it's still glitchy. But I think I I appreciate its glitchiness as as horrible as it is. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't. So I thought if I delete Instagram, my community had shifted to more Instagram. I had just moved physically, so I was really nervous that I was going to isolate myself um, mm. by deleting it all. And then I think I have a friend who he'd gone like 
he'd old schooled his phone hardcore and he's 22. And I was like, what, if this 22 year old can do it, I can do it. And so I eventually deleted it. And then I figured out I could do the browser. So I, I still had access, but I let myself only check three times a day for, I think a month. Um, and yeah, just like, started to notice an like, alarm. How did you, how did you do that? Letting, or did you put something in the app that had a rule of how long you could be in it or? Yes, I have had that rule. So my screen time rules on there. I think it's an hour, um, or it's 30 minutes, but I've done it where my screen time's a minute. And so it was just like in and then out. And, um, so I, I play around with those different settings. I think at that time, it was just the Ruth for the integrity of the experiment. You must do it this way. <laughs> so it seemed to work, but I do still struggle with, yeah, I, but I still struggle with overriding my, my rules all the time. Um, so I did that for about a month and then looked at like how Instagram was different. Like not as much content came up. I didn't get as many ads. Um, there, I realized that the more I check my phone, the more it has to give me something to look at. So if some, if you've posted five pictures if I go and check in three hours, if nothing else has happened, then I'm going to see the second picture in your post. And then I might see an ad as well. But it, it was weird because when I check my phone more often, it looks like more is happening. But when I don't check my phone very often, nothing's happening. Huh. And so I was like, you're playing games on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yeah, but they have to show you new content. And so even if you mm-hmm. uh, whittle down your following list to a small group, Every time you go on, it needs to show you new stuff to keep you interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got bored actually. The less I checked it, I was more bored on Instagram than I. The more I check it, wow, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and as you say, using the the glitchy Instagram app or sorry, Instagram on your browser was a bad experience, which helps you leave. Yes. So one of my solutions is um, I on and off delete Instagram from my phone now and use the browser experience because it's such an irritating experience that I don't <laughs> want to be on it. <laughs> so it, I do it on purpose and it drives me nuts. Um, but that makes me spend less time on it. Yeah. So t- tell me, like, what have you been learning then? You did this experiment. Obviously, you're you're back. I just spoke to you. We just messaged DM back and forth today on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, that's how we talked about this video. We were joking about what to look yeah. at the video. <laughs> um, so you are back. Um, what have you mm-hmm. learned? How has your relationship changed to these tools? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I learned was that God – uses technology and not in the broad, like, of course you can use technology, but God in the Bible used technology. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I, I remember in the middle of that, like I had it big whiteboards all over my wall and I was like, God, like I can see the problem. I can see how bad this is, but how do I talk to you about this? Because you're like, the Bible doesn't say anything about internet and Facebook. And, um, I read the book, uh, from the garden to the city by John Dyer, which was so incredibly helpful. Um, just the Sorry, theology the of technology of the book. Yeah, Garden from the Garden to the City the by John Dyer, D Y E R, and uh, and he goes through like from creation to uh, now, basically how technology has evolved, and that and I didn't realize like language is a form of technology, and so um, Jesus coded the world by using his or God coded the world by using his language to create it. That's mm-hmm. coding. And then um, you look at uh, the the Ten Commandments. Jesus, or God, sorry, I'd use Jesus, but God had placed the Israelites in the middle of a communications revela- rev- resolution, 
revelation. Revolution. (laughs) No, what's the word? Revolution. Yeah. Um, where the language they were building alphabet and they were building, they'd been going from pictograms to actually creating cuneiform and language. And then when God used that new language to write out the 10 commandments, that was like cutting edge technology. And so he'd been using it the whole way through. And so that changed my, my whole outlook on Mm -hmm. the, the process. And then in the book, I started to realize every tool has a value set. And so when I use, um, Instagram, I'm choosing to align myself to creative expression, values and likes and DMs, and then story views. Like I've, I put value in that. And so if I, if I use my Google maps, I'm putting value on not creatively thinking about where, or critically thinking about where I'm going. I'm following what the app tells me. And that I think was a very important, cause I was like, I can, these are handles. I can do something with that. Mm-hmm. Cause then I decide what values do I want to live by? And then I choose what values I live by versus just aligning to Instagram's values that they want me to live by. Now, in an article you wrote recently about this, when you're asking this question, I don't know if you know them off the top of your head, um, but you asked, what values do I want to live by? And then you had a few questions that you were asking yourself. And I would love just, you know, as we come to closer to the end of the conversation, um, for you to help give that to people so that they might have a filter to manage or consider their own tech use. Um, because as yeah. you've just said, they're not just tools, they're value systems. And so therefore they're not actually neutral. They could be used for good or could be used for bad. They come with a presupposed value system and a view of the world yeah. that you're invited into Facebook, Instagram, yeah. Google maps. It's a value system. So yes, what are some questions that people can ask themselves to consider their use of these tools? And values. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So first question is like, who do you want to be and figuring out that out separate from technology and, and Bible has a bunch of values, like God's values, presence and he values dependence. And what does that look like within relation to social media? So that's a whole other thing, but who do you want to be? How do you want people to describe you if you were to pass away? Like that's morbid, but it's an important thought to define you now. And then from there you say, okay, what, um, what's my behavior when I use this? So I've used this with um, apps. I use this with um, books. I use this with um, other tools, like I don't even Harvey's really like fast food. Um, but That's like, what's my behavior? Am I be- Harvey's? <laughs> it's a yeah. burger, Canadian burger place. <laughs> a very delicious burger place. Um, so then I say, okay, am, is my behavior making me more like my values, or becoming? And if my values to be more Christ-like, am I becoming more Christ-like? as a result of using Instagram, or is it pulling me and making me more independent and not reliant on God? And so, or you can like to non-Christianize, it's like, is this making me more into the person I want to be or less? And so when you ask those questions, then you say, okay, well, what problem is this, was this app designed for to solve? Because I think at the heart of it, social media was designed to create a networking experience and, and community. And there's, like the statistics are showing us that the use of Instagram and uh, messaging is up 60% in COVID. Um, Twitter use was up, I think, 50, 50%, 60%. And this was done like in April, beginning of COVID. They were digging into this. And so we need this community. But then the last question is, how can I use it in a way that is aligning to my values? Still, I can still get the benefit of what I, I need from it without having to just do it their way. Big questions, existential questions. And I hope that 
uh, that people listening start to ask them. I know more and more in my own life, I'm asking them. I think um, I feel the addiction myself in myself. And now I'm sort of saying, okay, so if this isn't who I, how I want to spend my days and my, therefore how I want to spend my life, how do I get out of this? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about, we started a conversation on faith tech and opportunities for tech in church. I'm really curious to see what the church could do to serve the world in this issue. Um, you know, how to like, like AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, Yeah, um, you know, it comes out of a Christian heritage of, um, you know, you literally have to acknowledge a higher power, acknowledge God. You have to go through forgiveness and reconciliation with people. Um, but all to say it was a guy who had a problem himself and needed help fixing it mm-hmm. and needed a community to do it in. And I'm mm-hmm. hopeful uh, that the church could also serve the world in this way to help with this crazy addiction we all have and we need help. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think we often get at Faith Tech, they say, oh, well, let's just create a Christian faith Facebook. And I, I just want to say that I don't think that's the answer because <laughs> God wants us to be in the world and not of it. And and who's to say mm-hmm. that the problems of Facebook don't just become the problems of a new app? Like the in the documentary, they say, we designed the like button to bring more live, love and positivity, not to create depression. Like we didn't see that happening. Um, but I think it's important for us to, as believers, to be really mindful because as, as an app develops or something develops, there's the intention of the designer, there's the algorithm of the app and how it's learning and growing and and how it's used. And then there's the user. So all three of those are working uh, together to create the app you're experiencing today. And so the only one you have control over is you, the user, and the algorithm's constantly learning. And in some ways, the design of it, the designer's original purpose doesn't matter anymore because the algorithm has its own life and, and we are the users. And so we have to play into that. But yes, there's huge opportunity for um, us to teach like the spiritual discipline of using social media and what does that look like as Christians. But then also as the, the tech community, what can we do to help create, maybe there's a a plugin that goes on top of it that just gives us their most important information or things like screen time or ethical design in our actual development. There's, there's so many angles we can take this. And on that note, I want to have you back sometime because perhaps in season six, we'll have you back because I want to talk about instructional design. Um, yes, <laughs> this is really your area of expertise and, and the church has so much to learn from that expertise, I think around, uh, so it's just in a sentence, what even is instructional design? Give us a teaser about that and we'll have you back another time to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So right now it's a bunch of really giant questions in my head with no answers, but this idea of um, as educators, we believe uh, we know that the best way to help someone learn and, and, and bring them like we want them to get to higher levels of thinking um, and having them just re- repeat something back to you or understand something. Those are the lowest levels of thinking. We really want, people or learners to focus on it, applying and evaluating and analysis, that's when we know they're starting to apply that. So how do we, as Christians, or when we're teaching something in the church, how are we building our content to then focus on this higher level thinking? Um, and so, yeah, I, I need to do a lot more research on it. It's, it's just a question that's spinning in my head. Um, because what if a 40 hour, 40 minute lecture is not the answer? <laughs> as an instructional designer, I never tell someone 
to write, like I say, 10 minutes or less. If you're giving me video content, it needs to be under 10 minutes. And the church is still doing lectures. And so I don't know what the answer is to that yet. Like less people are showing up to hear them now. (laughs) I know. So maybe they are working. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big question I have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ruth, um, that's a good little teaser. I think we need to pick at and do some problem solving around that whole... Let's come back, you know, maybe in six months or a year's time and talk about that after you've done more of your own research and work on it. Uh, but thank you so much. If people want to find you or find Faith Tech, where do you want to send them today? Uh, Faith Tech, just go to faithtech.com. Um, you can find, I'm, there's some information about me. My Instagram, ironically, is ru at Mullen. Um, and so that's where I am working out my addiction to social media. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, those are probably the two best places right now. Awesome. And also the article, um, My Social Dilemma. Yes, we'll Should link to that in the show Instagram notes accounts. as well um, so people can Perfect. read. Um, and, and I think actually it outlines a way that people can both try like mm-hmm. a break from social media, but also during that break, not just take a break, but also bring you through some of the questions that you brought to us today about how to assess who we want to be and therefore how we – what our values are, and then how to build that relationship to social media. Ruth, thank you. And also, oh, no worries. Thank you. I was just going to say the article also has like my strategies and things I've been curating as I've been talking to people. So there's a list of some possible ways to help with that. But yes, thanks for having me. Ah, It's so good. Uh, I think you're smart and thoughtful. And so I just appreciate getting into your brain a little bit today. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Thank you so much, Ruth Mullen, for that conversation. Just good food for thought. Next up on the podcast, we have Mike Carmody. Mike Carmody is Executive Director of Marketing and Digital Growth. This is a new role that's just started at Compassion. And he's been on the team for a while, but this new role has been created because we're going to be talking about how digital has changed the charity space and how um, how charities need to learn how to be risk takers. And um, so we're going to have just really a rich and interesting conversation about the charity space and how that's being affected by digital and pandemic and all that kind of stuff next week on the podcast. Thanks so much to Compassion for sponsoring this podcast week after week of season five. Just grateful for that partnership. Go to compassion.ca slash gifts if you are interested in giving a gift, doing something meaningful with a gift at Christmas. If you're looking for something as an opportunity to give for yourself on behalf of your own donation or as a gift to somebody else. And thanks also to Wycliffe College, wycliffecollege.ca slash digital. You can find some information and some fun swag if you want to get it from Wycliffe College if you're looking at uh, growing academically, growing in your own discipleship. Hey, hit us up on that Facebook group, Digital Church Facebook group. We love for you to join that community. And also, why don't you check out the Word Made Digital tutorials on YouTube or on wordmadedigital.com so that you can get more content, learning, growth for you and your team. Thank you so much for following, subscribing, liking, sharing, rating, all that good stuff. And uh, hey, if you like these episodes, would you share them with somebody? That's how this grows. That's how uh, we get more people aware of the, just these smart people who are coming on here week after week and, and offering themselves to us as a community. So thanks so much for being part of it. See you next week with Mike Carmody. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. 
head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.